Well, hey, did you bring your Bible this morning? Well, great. Would you open up to the very first book in your Bible, the book of Genesis? Man, so great to see David and Courtney here. Got to marry them, and now they're expecting. She's 20 weeks along, doing good. Super excited about that. Congratulations. You guys need to come to church more often. <laughs> I'm teasing. They may not after I embarrassed them right here in front. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's okay. Hey, I want to talk to you a little bit um, this morning about something that's been on my heart lately. And, you know, whenever I'm facing personally struggles, challenges in my life, having opportunities to overcome, one of the guys I like to look at in the Bible is Joseph. One time I was in a business, uh, it wasn't too long ago, it was just maybe a couple months ago, I was in this business and the owner came out as I was doing something at the counter and he said, he said, hey man, he said, what's, what's the good word? And I said, Jesus is king. And uh, he goes, I would agree with that. And he wasn't having a good day. I didn't know what was going on in his life. And I said, hey man, I said, I don't have any nails, nails holes in my hands or my feet, so... I'm doing pretty good. And he began to talk about what was going on in his life. And many times when we have issues and things going on in our life, what we don't need to compare ourselves to is the people that have it the best and that have it the easiest and the most comfortable. Sometimes we need to go back and we need to look at the Josephs in the Bible. The Josephs in the Bible that had to get through some stuff, but God brought them out on the other side. Oftentimes I hear Christians talk about the book of Job. They talk about Job and how hard he had it and how difficult it was. But I seldom hear people talk about that it was a nine, what theologians believe to be a nine-month time span in his life. Because what we failed sometimes to point out was the after that God restored, that God redeemed, that God brought back, and it was better than it was Truly, Job didn't know it at the time, but during that nine months, his best days were still out in front of him. And I'm here to let you know, whatever you're going through this morning, your best days are still out in front of you. You're alive. God's not done with you. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. He's got great things in store for your life. Amen? So do you believe that? So Joseph played a very important role in the plan and the purpose that God had for his life. I mean, he took the nation of, not the nation of Israel, the family of Israel, 70 people. They weren't a nation yet. They were a family, 70 people in this family. But through him, God brought them to the place that they were supposed to be for 430 years. They went from 70 people to a nation of people. And God had plans for them. But if you're there over in Genesis, look at chapter 37. And I want to talk a little bit about Joseph. First of all, I need to blow up my size a little bit. Oh, okay, I'm topped out now. I think I can see it. <laughs> so it says in verse 3 in chapter 37, it says, And Jacob loved Joseph. Jacob is his father. More than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. 
So why did they hate Jacob, jo- Joseph? Because he, their father loved him more than the rest of them. And they couldn't say a kind word to him. So here, Joseph hasn't done anything. Now, it did say that he was reporting about two of the sons, the sons of Bilhah, one of, um, one of the servants that was given to Jacob, his wife. So she had two sons, and so he did report to his father some of the things that they were doing that were not on the up and up, right? But it says here that what they're upset about is this coat. And it's not so much, I've heard theologians talk about the coat represented the birthright coat, but let's, let's set that to the side for a minute. And just the fact that, hey, he made a beautiful coat for Joseph and he didn't make one for me. How does that make you feel? And it says that they couldn't say anything nice to him. So, you know, you may have family members that are like that. (laughs) They can't say anything nice to you. And it's difficult to live in that, isn't it? But I want you to notice a few things about Joseph here. Because later on, we'll find out and we'll see the character of Joseph and the way that he is. So Joseph decides, Joseph, God has given him this amazing gift with dreams. And so he gives them these two different dreams at two different times. And so Joseph makes what, what I would call the poor choice. But I'm just thinking Joseph's excited about his dream. Hey, man, I had this dream last night. Babe, I had this dream last night. I mean, whenever you have something that happens to you, and it, it seems like it has some significance, you want to share it. So he shares it with his brothers. That's maybe not a good idea. Why? You might be casting your pearl before swine here. You know, you might be throwing out your, you, you know, you might, have you ever shared an, a business idea that you have or a great idea that you have and somebody just, it's, it's almost like they said, okay, pull, you know, like, I mean, you know, it just kind of blows it. So that's what happened to Joseph. Joseph throws the dream out there and they're like, oh my word, are you serious? We're going to bow down to you, you know, and then he tells them about his second dream. But in his second dream, he also shares it with his father. And so his father even calls him out and says, what is this dream that you've had? What are you talking about? But look at what his father says over in in the same chapter, 37. Look at verse 11. It says, but while the brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered, what do these dreams mean? Remember Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus. All of these prophecies about her son. I mean, wouldn't that freak you out if you were a mom and, and your baby and, and all these different well-known prophets? I mean, Anna, she speaks a word. And then, and then you have Simeon you, have Simeon. you have all these other people that have these words, that not, not to mention the wise men that travel all this way. And they declare certain things. They present these gifts to her son. It says that she pondered all these things in her heart. She pondered these things. So this is what Jacob is doing. Jacob is pondering this. So so Joseph has this gift of dreams. He has this gift of not only dreams, but being able to interpret them. But it's growing and developing. How many of you, your gift has grown and developed? Yeah. I mean, it didn't just come full bore all at one time, right? So, So Joseph is developing this gift, and God is developing it in him. <clears throat> but he, when he shares it with his brothers, some people, I had one person I was sharing this with just recently, and, and they said, you know, I, I, it just seems like he was bragging to me. Now, normally I would, 
you know, I, I would be like, you know, I could see that because his brothers didn't like him already. You know, he, he, was, he was telling on him for doing things. And so, you know, I, I could see that. But the problem I have with that is when I read about jo- Joseph's life later, I don't see that in his life. I don't see a bragger anywhere. Does that make sense? Okay, I just, I just wanted to, that's, that's an opinion. I don't have a scripture on it, but it's just what I see. I don't see him bragging. So Joseph, then, what happens to him? His brothers decide, we've had enough of this. He comes to check on him. He's wearing his beautiful coat. His brothers steal his coat from him. They throw him down in a pit. Along comes this caravan of traders, and they decide, hey, let's not kill him. Let's sell him. They sell Joseph into the hands of these traders. The traders take him to Egypt, and they sell him to a guy named Potiphar. Potiphar, when Joseph goes to work for Potiphar, Joseph is amazing. Why? Because through everything that's happened, imagine your family sells you as a slave. A bond servant. This is where you don't have any rights. You have relinquished your rights. You are under the command of whoever owns you. They are now your master. It's different from being a servant. Servants were paid. Bond servants were not paid. Slaves were not paid. They're owned, right? And so this is Joseph's status. He's gone from being the favored, the blessed, the one with the coat, And now he's lost his coat, and now he is a slave. So what happens in Potiphar's house? He begins to serve him with such diligence, with such a great attitude, that suddenly he's in charge of the the entire household. Otherwise, how do you get promoted to that? You certainly don't get it with a bad attitude, do you? I mean, he served Potiphar as unto the Lord. So Potiphar promotes him. In fact, he promotes him so much, he says, I'm putting you in charge of my whole house. It says that Potiphar didn't know anything that was going on in his house except the food that he ate. That much confidence in Joseph. And so Joseph is doing a good job, and his uh, Potiphar is bragging on Joseph to his wife, and his wife begins to start noticing Joseph because the Bible says he was a good-looking dude. He was muscular. He looked like Brad Pitt or something. I don't know. But, I mean, he was a good-looking guy. Is that, that's old, isn't it? He's a millennial. No, I'm not even going to go there. Sorry. <laughs> that was reflective of my age. Um, but anyway, so, but, but she begins to cast longing eyes. She begins to lust after Joseph. She tries. The Bible says that she tries day after day after day. To get him to sleep with her. Day after day after day. So he's not just putting her off once. This is a repetitive occurrence. So we're beginning. We're seeing the character of Joseph. We're seeing a man that is more committed to God. Than he is to where he's at today. He knows that God has a plan and a purpose. Man how good. How much better it would be for us. If we could take our eyes off of our situation. Off of our circumstances. Off of where we are. And put our focus completely on what God has in store for our lives. His plan, his purpose. Man, that's, you know, when we lived in Louisville, Kentucky, you know, Churchill Downs is there. Many of the horses, when they race, they put the blinders on. 
Why? So they're only focused on the track. They're not sidetracked by anything going on over here at the blinders. Man, we need that in our life. Amen? <clears throat> so, yeah. So this is a bad, this is a bad situation, right? Joseph is, Joseph is there in Potiphar's house, and then she lies about him. She, just, she can't get him to, to do what she wants him to do. So she creates an opportunity, tries one last time, can't get it to happen. And he flees from her and leaves his coat in her hands. I'm thinking this is the second coat he's lost. The dude can't keep a coat. And so now, so he runs out of the house and now she sees this. This is an opportunity. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to punish him for not doing what I want. Right? And so she lies about him. She accuses him falsely. And her husband comes home. Her husband believes him. He's a good husband. He believes her. And then he takes Joseph. And now Joseph has gone from being sold into slavery. Now he's thrown into prison. How many of you, that's happened to you? Because I want to know you. Okay. All right. Yeah. Hadn't happened to me either. <clears throat> Thank God. And so now he's in prison. What happens in prison? Now he begins to serve in prison the same way that he served Potiphar. In fact, the warden is so impressed with him, the warden puts him in charge of the entire prison. He's taking care of all the guys, and it says the warden did the same thing. He doesn't worry about anything going on in prison. Why? Because Joseph has got it. Joseph is overseeing it. He is taking care of business. So now, here's Joseph in prison. He becomes the warden's favorite. Sometimes... I want to point this out. Sometimes in, our, in negative situations, circumstances, challenges that arise, the best prescription is going to work. Yeah. I heard somebody say one time that the best prescription when you're in a situation is to go to work many times. It is. Because it gives you a focus, a purpose. It gives you something to set your heart on. Why? Otherwise, he's going to be sitting around, and what's he going to be thinking about? I can't believe those brothers. They saw the anguish on my face when I looked at them in the face as they're selling me to the Amalekites. Sometimes too many people have too much time to sit around and, you know, our, Nicole and I at, in, in ministry and as a church, we have, we have faced some things and we've walked through some things. And I, I, have, some, I have an accountability team. I was sharing this with our, with our board the other day that we have an accountability team. And these are pastors of, of large churches that, that God has given, blessed me with relationship with. And so I call them once a week and I talk to these guys. And I let them know what's going on in my life, what's going on in our church, what things that we're dealing with and we're focusing on. And, uh, and I remember this situation that we walked through not long ago. One of the guys said to me, he said, Phil, he said, I've been there. I've walked through it many times. He said, but I want to encourage you. Stay on the wall like Nehemiah. You remember Nehemiah? Nehemiah was on the wall. They were rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem that had been torn down. And as he's building the wall... There's all these guys that are trying to get him to come off of the wall. 
and they've got this drama going on, and they're trying to create this drama, and they're trying to create all these reasons to get Nehemiah to come off of the wall. Why? Then he'll stop building the wall. And he said, Phil, stay on the wall. Keep building. Keep building. All right. Many of you need to stay on the wall. So what happens in prison? So Pharaoh gets upset at two people, the cupbearer and the butler. Or not the butler, but the baker. So he sends them to prison. And so guess who is overseeing the prison? Gets to take care of them, Joseph. So every day he's taking care of these guys. And, and he's, because his life is so bad, he's making other people's lives better. Man, how's that for sowing seed? Yeah. Seed time and harvest. Phil, you don't understand. My life's going bad. Maybe you need to sow into somebody else's life and make their life better. Paul. So anyway, that was a good word. And so, 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 he, so he's taking care of these guys. Well, one morning he comes in and he notices that their, their expressions are all downcast. And he says, what's going on with you guys today? What, what's the matter? And they said, well, both of us have had a dream and there's nobody that can interpret the dream. I mean, we're in prison. And Joseph says, hey, guess what? He said, God is the interpreter of dreams. He said, tell me your dream. So now he's flowing in his gift. And so they begin to share. The, the, uh, the butler, he shares with him his dream, the cupbearer. So when he shares with him his dream, um, he tells him, he said, this is what it means. Three days from now, Pharaoh's going to raise you up and you are going to be, uh, once again, putting the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And then when the baker saw, oh, well, man, he got a favorable interpretation of his dream. He said, I'm going to share my dream. He shares his dream, and it's not the same interpretation. You're going to be impaled on a pole in three days. And, and, but it came to pass. So here's what Joseph said in chapter 40. If you're there or if you're still in Genesis, flip over to 40. And look at verse 14. This is what Joseph says to the butler the cupbearer, when he, he interprets a dream. He said, but remember me. Everybody say, remember me. Remember me when it goes well with you. And please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. Now pay attention to verse 15. He says, for I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison and I did nothing to deserve it. I want you to notice something. Joseph, you don't hear him in this scripture or anywhere else mention his brothers. He says, I was kidnapped. He didn't say by who. He didn't say who sold him out, who threw him under the bus, who got in it and backed back over him again. And notice he doesn't say anything about Potiphar's wife in here either. So guess what happens? In verse 23, look at verse 23. So he tells them, hey, remember me. Look at verse 23. Yet the chief butler did what? He did not remember. That makes you feel good. Now look at chapter 41, look at verse 1. And it came to pass at the end of two full years. Say two full years. <laughs> two full years. Okay, my brother sold me out. Potiphar's wife lied about me. I was accused falsely. I'm thrown in prison. And now even the butler, even the cupbearer, 
has forgot about me. Does he have some reason to be a little down, a little distraught, a little depressed? Does he? In the natural, yes. But what is he not doing? He's not getting down, depressed, and discouraged. Why? Because he is channeling. He's blessing other people. He instead is making life better for others. And he's not gossiping. He's not slandering. He's decided, I'm not going to say anything negative about the people who have done me wrong. You know what happens when you talk about the people that have done you wrong? You get to live done wrong. That's a sad place to be. Because all, it's always about, woe is me. Woe is me. Man, can you believe they did that to me? Can you believe? <clears throat> I don't want to live done wrong. How about you? So Joseph could have become bitter. He could have become bitter because of what his brothers did, because of the way they talked mean to him every day, for the way that they took his coat, for the way that they sold him into slavery. He could have become bitter over Potiphar's wife, that she accused him wrong. He could have become bitter over the cupbearer, but he didn't. What did he do? He decided, no, I'm going to get better instead of being bitter. I want to get better. I want to hold on to the dream that God gave me because I know I remember that dream about those sheaves and all those sheaves bowed down to my sheaves. I remember, I remember that dream. I am holding on to what God gave me. And there was a day that there was a famine that was coming and God revealed it to Pharaoh through a dream. And Pharaoh said, I've had a dream. I need someone to interpret it. So look down at verse 9, 41. Chief Butler spoke to Pharaoh and he said, I remember, I remember. I remember my faults today. There was a man in prison that interpreted my dream. And it came to pass because I'm here now handing the cup to you once again. He said, I remember. And he called Joseph up. And here Joseph comes up. And in one day, he interprets Pharaoh's dream. He's made second in the kingdom. And God raised him up. See, what God was showing him was the future of how God would raise him up to a high level of influence so that he could save not only his family, but he could save the world the known world man so God brought him up to that position mm. <clears throat> I, I heard this story uh, Nicole and I occasionally you know we'll listen to Bob Goff he has a fun podcast that he does and he interviews different people but um, I was she was listening to one the other day and she said you need to listen to this story and he, he and a few guys go into San Quentin prison there in California. San Quentin is like, that's the only prison in California that has all the, all the lifetime, in, you know, inmates are there. They got one guy, Bob was talking about, that he has eight life sentences. Could you imagine that? Eight life sentences that he's serving. You'd have to die eight times before you could get out. I mean, it'd be, you know, if you were a cat, that might work. But anyway... So, so there was this guy 
that was in there. He was in there for over a decade and he got paroled. And so he got out and he is all excited about being out and he gets home. He goes into his home and immediately after the door closes, there's a knock at the door. And they open the door and it's two police officers. They handcuff him, put him back in the car, take him back to San Quentin. And they said, we are sorry. We did the math wrong. You still owe us 109 days. Now, if there's like anything such as like incarceration malpractice or something, I mean, that's like, that's the worst, you know? I couldn't imagine anything that would be worse. Then I'm free, I'm out, woo, finally. You owe us 109 days. And they take him back, and here he is back in the prison. And you know what he said? He didn't get bitter. He said, man, I'm so happy. that Because there were some things that I wanted to say to these guys that I've spent more than a decade of my life with. And I finally get to say those things. And later, he said, I would have never had that opportunity if I hadn't have got those extra 109 days. How's that attitude? How's that strike you? Man, what a story. Let me, let me share with you a command that God gave us in Leviticus 19. In Leviticus 19, verse 16, it says, you shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. That sounds like a command to me. How about you? In fact, even over in Malachi 3, verse 16, it says that those who feared the Lord spoke with each other, and the Lord listened. If you ever wonder whether or not God's listening to what you say, here it is. It says the Lord listened to what they said, and in His presence a scroll of remembrance was written recorded the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. Wow. I don't know about you. I know one day I'm going to stand up before God and give an account for how I talked about other people. I, I've been reading this book. I, well, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm done reading it, actually. I read it yesterday. <laughs> I was like, I was so enthralled in this book because, um, you know, I'd called a pastor friend of mine and, you know, I don't know, I don't know if I can be vulnerable with you. Um, you know, we had, we had a couple leave the church that was an ouch. I mean, it doesn't feel good when, you know, when people let you know that, you know, we're feeling to go somewhere else. And, and I don't take it personally, but this one was how, you know, because we'd been together for a long time and, We've loved each other and, you know, been there. And anyway, so I called this pastor friend of mine. And, you know, of course, you want to ask questions like, what am I doing wrong? And, you know, is this normal? And, well, you know, whatever. And, and the pastor said, he goes, Phil, he said, you're on the Calvary Road. That's what this is called, the Calvary Road. I said, the Calvary Road? He said, Phil, have you ever heard of the Calvary Road? I said, well, I, I've known about the one that Jesus walked. I, I mean, I, which one are you talking about? And he goes, no, the book, The Calvary Road. Have you ever read it? I said, no, I've never read it. He said, Phil, you need to read that book. 
He said, it's everything that the enemy doesn't want you to know about Christianity. So I, man, I, fortunately, I went out online because it's an older book. It was written back in the 1950s. I found it on the internet. And so it was a PDF version. And so I like to copy all the text and put it in my notes. In fact, I have it right here on my iPad. But, and so, because that way I can highlight stuff and I can, you know, kind of make it my own. And so, man, I'm, I'm reading this book. And then this, I got to read, I got to read a section. Can I read a section to you? All right. Um, Calvary Road. Okay, it's a long way down here. Okay, here it is. All right. <clears throat> now it's, now it's ways up. Okay. Don't, don't be laughing at me now. <laughs> be, be nice. All right. Okay. Um. All right, so, so basically this guy named Roy wrote this book. And this guy named Roy, um, I'm going to read it to you. I found it, but yeah, I want to set it up. So he's wanting to learn about revival. And he found out about these, these group of missionaries in Africa that had been experiencing revival for 50 years. 50 years. Not revival for... Because, you know, so oftentimes we hear the word revival and we just think an amazing move of God in a very short period of time. Because most oftentimes what ends a revival is sin. Division, disagreement. I mean, it comes in, there's thousands of different ways sin can get in. So, so he, he knew that these guys had had such tremendous success. He wanted to sit down with them and he wanted to hear their story. He wanted to hear how he could experience the same revival in his life. And he said, so when they came, he's, he's, he, so he asked these guys, you know, in view of his life, how he could experience revival. And so they were staying on this compound with him. And they said, when we came onto the campus, you said, fellows, get in the car. I've got to go uh, to one of the other houses and make some arrangements. And in that house, we saw you talk with a young lady. We didn't know by the way that you spoke to her whether she was your secretary or your wife. We suggest, so, I'm sorry, before I read any further, they said repentance. And he said, what do I need to repent from? And they said, well, because revival comes out of an individual's heart and it starts in the family, think about what, what did the enemy attack first? the family what is he still attacking today he's attacking the family and so anyway so anyway I'll, I'll, I'll continue we didn't know if she was a secretary or a wife we suggest you might begin there because revival for us began in the most intimate relationship in the home he said well I took it to heart he said that current light came to show me sin where I hadn't seen it before. And I began on a path of repentance. Yes, with my wife, my attitude toward her. Wow. As I was, I was reading that, I, I was like, Whoa. sometimes we call things that are sin not sin 
You know, for instance, my Bible says that my prayers are hindered by how I treat my spouse. So if I want my prayers to be heard, what do I need to do here? So that means this is sin because anything that stops this, that's the only reason why God can't come and answer. He can't come and fill the room. It's something in the heart. And oftentimes, if we would allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what that sin is and stop calling it something else, well, it's just the okey in me. You know how us sinners are. What does that got to do? I mean, it's like saying I'm Italian or saying, I mean, you know, it, all it is is justification to stay the same. But I don't know about you, I, I would really love to see revival begin in me so that it could pour into my family and then man, flood this church. And I don't want anything to hinder that. So man, what am I saying this morning? I want us to come to a place where God has full permission. There's nothing hindering that we're willing to take a hard look at ourselves and we're willing to allow the Holy Spirit to convict us in those areas and, and stop calling things that aren't, that are sin, not sin. Does that, does that make sense? I know I started off talking about bitterness, but I, this book just messed me up. I just went, wow, wow, because the importance of letting go of bitterness is the same principle that I'm allowing Holy Spirit to be able to flow through me. Because stuff's going to happen, man. People are not always going to like you. Because you're super likable. I can't imagine someone not liking you because you're likable. But believe me, it's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to happen, but are, are you going to allow it, are you going to take an offense from it and allow that to turn into bitterness? Or are we going to walk in love and not live done wrong begin to pray for them it's not easy I'm not going to lie to you it's not easy but it's love wow would you bow your heads around the room all all across the room. Nobody looking around. This is between you and God. This is an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to be able to move in your life right now. <clears throat> if you're here and you've been dealing with unforgiveness, somebody did something to you, you've not been willing to let go of it. I don't care how bad it was or who it was, how close to the heart it was, how much it hurt. That's not the issue. The issue is we need to release it today. We need to release anything that would hinder God's presence from coming in and filling our lives. See, because the opportunity is we haven't wanted to walk around in joy. We wanted, haven't, haven't been able to have the joy of the Lord because of that unforgiveness. And maybe that's you. And maybe it's time to let go. Or maybe you're the one on the other side that maybe you've even lashed out. 
and the Holy Spirit's pricking your heart and saying, yeah, that was, that was not right, but I will forgive you. I will restore you. If that's you, all across the room, this is between you and God. That's why I don't want anybody looking around. don't want anybody eyeballing to see if somebody else raises their hand. But I want to give you an opportunity. If that's you, I'd like you to raise your hand all around the room right now. Yeah, 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 a bunch. And I, I mean, I knew it. I knew it in my heart. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm raising my hand too. I, I, I've released people over and over and over and over and over. And I will continue to live that way. I will continue to live the life of forgiveness, of releasing others. So those of you that raised your hands, I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to ask everyone to pray after me. And let's allow the Spirit of God to heal our hearts this morning. Amen. Would you repeat after me? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you forgave me when I didn't deserve it. That you died for me when I didn't deserve your salvation. (laughs) Thank you for not giving me what I deserved. And Father, because you did that for me, I now extend the same to people that I need to forgive. I choose to forgive. I choose to release. I will keep no record of wrong. I forgive. And I thank you, Lord, that their best days are in front of them. I pray, Lord, that you would prosper them. That you would become real in their life. That the Holy Spirit would be able to flow through them because of the forgiveness that I freely give. Thank you, Father. 